In the following live session recording, Stuart Lang and David Self, State Missionaries, Community Missions and Disaster Response with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talk about cooperation in disaster response. In this session, the listener will hear a discussion about response efforts following Hurricane Michael, including lessons learned and how church teams and credentialed disaster relief volunteers can partner more effectively for future disaster responses. Let's join Stuart and David now. All right, my name is Stuart. I am a State Director for Disaster Relief. So this course is not just about disaster relief. This is, uh, and David and I are actually going to be sharing the recorder here uh, on lessons that we learned primarily after Hurricane Michael response. So it is uh, intentionally called cooperation in disaster response because uh, after Hurricane Michael we were very intentional about credentialed DR volunteers and non-credentialed church teams coming together to work Hurricane Michael and uh, honestly it was such a good response uh, with good good results that we, we fully intend to repeat the process. So, uh, so this is about whether you're credentialed or not. We have both in the room, and uh, that's, so that's where we're going with this. So let me give you some background on disaster relief itself because some of our background will play into some of the dilemma we face when we combine credentialed and non-credentialed. That is not an easy task. And so I want, I hope you, by doing this, it'll help you understand or at least appreciate some of that dilemma that we face uh, when, we, when we open up the door for non-credentialed volunteers. Uh, 1989, Hurricane Hugo was our defining moment for Georgia Baptist disaster relief. And interestingly enough, uh, three days ago, I, I met at the hotel with... Um, Bob Green, who I think is also a member of this church. So Bob Green was DR, Disaster Relief State Director, three men before me. <laughs> he, was the, he was the state director in the late 80s. And uh, I, somebody had asked me recently, when did Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief start? And I had a basic answer, but not I couldn't nail it down. And so I, I was coming this way, and I asked him if he'd meet with me. We had a great time talking but he confirmed this for me three days ago Hurricane Hugo really was the defining moment as far as Georgia Baptist disaster relief in that it existed on paper before Hurricane Hugo but when Hurricane Hugo happened there were two to three thousand volunteers from around the state that went to the coast of South Carolina and it, when there were that many people involved that's when we realized we need to be better organized than this. And so Bob Green was actually the one that started some training in that regard, and Rick Patchen came along behind him and really organized disaster relief. Uh, so that was our real start. Yes, sir? I actually, I guess I'm probably one of the older gentlemen in the room. Um, I actually was involved in part of that. Uh, our men's ministry group took 40 men from this church as a totally un credential chainsaw team yeah. went to 
Somerville, South Carolina, plugged into a church up there in Somerville. And uh, we basically left here understanding and realizing that it was on Bob's direction. We needed to be self-contained. So we took food, we took yeah. our bedrolls, we took our equipment, we even took building materials to try to aid and assist. And, uh, but I've got to brag on the fact that disaster, Southern Baptist disaster relief was there even then because I will never forget yeah. the excellent meals and the care that we got relative to laundry services because they had a laundry uh, a unit set up and a meal set up that was phenomenal. Yeah. You know? If you can imagine, we spent four days up there just clearing debris, chainsaws and salt. It, it, I don't think it ever quit raining until the day we started to come home. So everything we had was soaking wet, full of sawdust and, and chainsaw yep. oil or gasoline. And every day they would take our clothes and wash them for us, bring them back to us. They would feed us. That is not a typical disaster relief <laughs> meal anymore. I So here's the deal. He said he went as a non-credentialed volunteer. Anybody who went from Georgia in 1989 was a non-credentialed volunteer. That's what I'm saying. That event catapulted us into a credentialing process that Bob Green helped start and Rick Patchen picked up. But he's also right, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief has existed since 1967. It started with some Texas Baptist men who went down to the Rio Grande with fish cookers after a flood and they were, they were feeding people. So we are, as nationally, as a denomination, a little over 50 years old now. So when Rick came along, he, when Bob was the state director, there was zero budget for disaster relief. When Rick came along, zero budget for disaster relief outside of his salary. And it was under the Brotherhood Men's Ministries Department. And so Rick started encouraging associations to build units. And he basically told associational missionaries and church pastors, if y'all don't build it, it's not going to happen. And so that's, that's where we started. Now, we still operate through associational units. All of our units in Georgia, this is not true in other states, but in Georgia, all of our units are associational. Uh, they are built, maintained, owned by associations, not by the state. And so that is, that's been our mantra ever since. The emphasis is on credentialed volunteers for initial response. So that is a key statement for our discussion today. I am responsible for my credentialed volunteers. And if we get into another Michael, if we get into another disaster as large as Michael, I'm my first, my first obligation, I want you to hear me up clearly up front, is with my credentialed volunteers like Danny, like David. Uh, I can't back up. And, and let's just... Why would they go through an orientation? Why would they pay $40, go through an orientation, go through my credentialing background if I'm not going to give them my first priority? That's just... So I, with this whole discussion, I, you need to know that up front. So the challenge with SUVs, spontaneous, unaffiliated, or uncredentialed volunteers. Let me get where I can not be in somebody's way. Um, this has been a challenge for years. By the way, it's not just a challenge for Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. 
It is a challenge for Red Cross. It is a challenge for the Salvation Army. It is a challenge for the local government. Uh, it is, it's a challenge, I, I, I represent Georgia VOAD, volunteer organizations active in disaster. And so it's, it is a frequent uh, conversation topic. How do we handle SUVs? Well, that is, uh, the, the issue grows for us because Georgia Baptist Mission Board has such a strong credentialing requirement. Our, our onboarding process is very robust and very strict and uh, I'm just I'm not going to argue against that I have I've, I've pushed and said you know is it a little too strict but I'm it needs to be strict this morning I'm going through Fox News headlines on my phone after breakfast and one of the headlines, I, I very rarely read the whole article, I just get the headlines. And one, one of the headlines says, despite increased efforts by churches to prevent child abuse, more and more cases are still slipping through and, and being unearthed. And so we've got to do this. Now, what does that have to do with SUVs? I am not going to assume responsibility for a volunteer that I don't vet. I can't. And the convention where I work doesn't want me to and, and really won't allow me to. And so this, this whole issue of SUVs is a huge issue and there's risk management and I've already talked about those who go through the process. So. So what? I want to emphasize a new focus called affiliated teams, affiliated groups. Uh, and I'm even talking with my other state director peers about this. Let's stop arguing and talking and beating our head against the wall on SUVs. Let's talk about this group that we can work with. That is affiliated groups. That is the 28 people from a First Baptist Statesboro. That's that's a group from your association. Maybe Fleming Baptist takes the lead and says Augusta Association, we want, we want to take 30 people down to Bainbridge, Georgia and help do recovery. You are an affiliated group. You're not credentialed by me, but you're part of our Georgia Baptist family. That's what I mean by affiliated. And I, to me, there's a there is a colossal difference between asking me to handle SUVs and me intentionally requesting affiliated teams. That's where we're headed today, this morning, with this conversation. So what does that look like? And that's why David's going to help me because his role after Hurricane Michael was that of requesting the affiliated teams. And so he worked with Association of Missionaries in the affected area and he requested associational missionaries from a non-affected area and he was trying to connect those pieces together and I was running parallel at the same time with my credentialed volunteers. So we're talking about a parallel track here uh, and our key phrase in disaster relief is we will facilitate but not manage. So if you bring a group from Dublin and you show up and we, hey, we just want to run chainsaw. We just want to help people. Fine. 
here are some homeowners, addresses. Go and be blessed. Let us know what you do. But even after you're gone, don't be offended. Even if he is a general, I'm not going to trust him to know what he did with his work. I want one of my volunteers to go see it and see if there's something else that needs to be done. But we have facilitated him. We facilitated his group to go work, and, but they're not working with my team. Does that make sense? Because the moment I get one of my blue hats to manage your team or supervise your team or even go out with your team, then by virtue of putting one of my blue hats with your team, I just assume responsibility for your team. I'm not going to do that. So the other part of facilitating your team means you're welcome to come eat with us, but you can't sleep with us. So if my team is set up at First Baptist Statesboro and you need a place to sleep, uh, let me call Eastern Heights or East Side or Second Baptist Church, Statesboro. There's no such thing. Let me call another church and see if they will let you sleep there and shower there. But you're welcome to come eat with us. So I'm trying, I've got to reduce my risk for my credentialed volunteers at the same time, I've got to open the door for affiliated teams, some of whom are never going to go through DR credentialing, and I get it. But we need to work as a family. So there's bottom line for our discussion. Hurricane Michael hit on a Wednesday night. However, it followed Hurricane Florence, which pretty well devastated the Carolinas. I had volunteers in South Carolina. Before Hurricane Florence, I had teams in Connecticut doing flood recovery or tornado. Was it flood or tornado? Do you remember, Dan? I want to say it was flood. Flood, flood recovery in Connecticut, and then turned around and did flood recovery in South Carolina. Now, you can ask any of my Clinton Recovery volunteers. If they have the choice between wind damage or water damage, they'll choose wind damage every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Flood recovery is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And so we had had two flood responses out of state before Michael hit Georgia. So when Michael hit Georgia, we were already facing volunteer fatigue uh, and a little bit of burnout. Now keep in mind, they're credentialed, but they're still volunteer. Nobody's getting paid. So it's not like I can say, suck it up, let's go. I, I can say, can you go? Are, are you able to go? And so we're totally dependent upon our volunteers. So Michael was the largest storm to ever hit Georgia. Thankfully, it didn't carry any water. Now, that wasn't true for Florida, but by the time it hit Georgia, it was a dry storm. It was more like a 23-county-wide tornado than it was a hurricane for us. Now, it was absolutely devastating. I don't want to minimize that, but I'm saying in the midst of all the devastation, there were many blessings. Uh, one blessing is it didn't bring water into Georgia. Another blessing is of all of the fatalities that could have happened, there was only one. 
Let me tell you about that one fatality. It was a 12-year-old girl in Bainbridge or near Bainbridge, Georgia, who had just given her life to Jesus at Vacation Bible School that year, earlier that summer. And if I recall hearing Ken Cloud talk about this, she had such a burden for her family that she was praying, Lord, if there's anything that I can do or you can do with me for my family to give their lives to you, here I am. What a prayer from a 12-year-old. And she's the one, the only one that I'm aware of that lost a life in Hurricane Michael. Um, I'm not saying the Lord sent Michael because of her prayer to reach her family. I'm saying God honored her through a storm. Um, we already talked about the fatigue. Hurricane Michael created mass emotional appeal. I'm going to unpack that for you just a little bit. I'm not saying everybody in the news media is a foe. I am saying the news media can make things difficult for disaster response. Because the more they stay on site, the more camera shots they take, the more they report the news, the more your uncredentialed heartstring gets pulled and you want to help. And you multiply that by 159 counties by 50 states. And the entire nation was wanting to come to Florida and Georgia to help with Hurricane Michael, even though Florence was still going on, Florence's response. So here's, here's the deal. People want to help, and I'm grateful for that. I don't ever want to squash that. But there are good ways and not good ways to help. And during the response, I spend a lot of time telling people, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Not now. Please don't. Uh, and it's, it's pretty amaz amazing. However, the need was greater than our DR volunteer base was going to be able to handle it, and I saw that early on. So, uh, if it's green, that's David's cue. He's going to talk, so pick it up and go with it from now. Uh, the AMSs, which is another word for Association of Missionary Strategists, uh, and pastors wanted to help, but uh, they were not DR credentials. This is a problem uh, because they're getting ready to go down into an area. They may not know what they're doing. Those of you who've had military training or have you seen uh, disasters occur, you realize there's a lot of things that's going on in multi-layers. And if you're not prepared about what you're getting ready to walk into, you're going, to, you're going to realize that you can make matters worse than they already are, and you can become a victim of the storm. Uh, belated, but you can be a victim of the storm as well. So you need to know what you're doing before going down there. This was a problem when we were getting thinking, well, disaster relief, they are exhausted. Uh, they need help from uh, the association's churches, and so we need to respond somehow. Our, the first phone call I got from Stuart was, David, uh, you know, you are uh, the president of the Association of Missionaries Fellowship, and uh, so logically I'll come to you and ask you, can you help? Well, when I signed on to be uh, president of the Association of Missionaries Fellowship, it was uh, more of a fellowship. 
than anything else. It was to come together, have a meal, let's have some classes, and we'll bring the experts in, and we'll learn some things, and we'll go away and glorify Jesus. But that's not what happens. Life can change just like that, and you have to be able to respond. I said, let me call somebody, because I, I, I just don't see myself in this role. He said, great, call me back. I called one person, and he said, David, I'm out of the country. I can't help you. I thought, okay, God, what are you doing? So I called Stuart back and said, all right, Stuart, you got me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, bring somebody alongside you. In essence, he would say, don't do this yourself. Build a team. Uh, and so I called a, an associational missionary, David Nelson. I said, look, I need somebody to talk to me in one ear. So I'll know what's going on. I talked to my wife, who is a school teacher, and she teaches mathematics, so she's very logical. She said, where's your map? And she starts asking me questions that I can't answer. She said, you've got to get the answers to these questions. Who do you find out from them? I don't know. Call Stewart. Uh, call the uh, state convention. Maybe they can help. And they did. And all the information began to come to me, and I began to realize I'm beginning to put the piece together what the storm is beginning to look like, how many counties were involved, you know, how many associational missionaries were down. We had one associational missionary that uh, uh, had um, uh, John Paul Hasek had pneumonia, uh, and we had uh, Ken Cloud uh, have a heart issue right after that started, and, and he had to have some, uh, uh, some medical care. And had another fellow in Albany, um, name flips my mind, Hans. Hans Wunsch uh, had a, uh, uh, his uh, was mother or mother-in-law? Mother. Mother. Passed, uh, was ill. And he was having to deal with all this, you know, horrible stuff. And he was, I went to visit him personally, and he was just wore down. And that was just a tiny example of what we see in some of these areas. Um, but we need to create an issue uh, of sending people without creating issues of greater disaster. And so part of my job is I would go down and uh, talk to some associational missionaries. I know that others in the convention were doing the same thing. This is, takes a lot of eyes on the ground to see this. And I just went down and talked to some people. I got some uh, gift cards. Uh, I'm not even looking at the, uh, I may be uh, getting ahead of myself. Uh, why don't you take this on, and we'll come back to the next part. So let me tell you what we're doing as far as DR goes, credential volunteers. We had multiple feeding sites with Red Cross and the Salvation Army uh, from different states, and that's, that slide will come up here in a second. But even with my kitchens, our kitchens in Georgia, we had one in Cordell. We had a kitchen. We had two in Bainbridge, one on either side of the same church. <laughs> so we were cooking for Red Cross on the left side of the church and the Salvation Army on the right side of the church. I've never heard of that happening anywhere else before or since, that we were serving both uh, at the same time. Multiple cleanup sites. And during Michael, these are not the non-credentialed. These are just credentialed numbers. Uh, a 1,000-plus volunteer days. We provided 60 or prepared 60,000 plus meals, over 40 professions of faith. Uh, most of those were in Bainbridge, but there were, uh, and this number does not include what other states accomplished when they came. So my peer from Virginia was in Blakely, Georgia, and he got to lead two men to the Lord in the same day. So this number does not include what Virginia and Kentucky and all these other states did. 
This was truly a collaborative response, more so than anything we've ever done in Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief. So it was so mammoth, uh, I started getting some calls, or actually um, executive director uh, left, called me or something. He said, would you please call this pastor? Would you please call this pastor? And it's not that I don't like pastors. I do. I love pastors. But my first focus is on the response. So I called Marcus Merritt and I said, Mark, I'm starting to get these calls about pastors. Since you are over church, pastor, minister relations, can you take the pastors and just call them? He said, absolutely. And so Mark Merritt started calling every pastor that had been affected by the storm or whose church suffered damage. David, you've already heard about, I asked him to help with the associational missionary collaboration. There's also another piece of this. And that is uh, my peer at, at uh, the convention is Ricky Thrasher. And even right now, Ricky's title is Liaison to Associational Missionary Strategist. So I asked Ricky, can you talk with associational missionaries? And Dave is going to be heading this part up. So uh, I stayed in contact, but I passed that off. I delegated that part uh, to David and Ricky. Mark Strange works at the convention, and he's, uh, at the time, it still is over communication. And so I said, Mark, I can't, I, I need a PIO because I can't handle all this public messaging and do what I need to do as far as uh, the response jigsaw puzzle that I'm trying to put together. So he handled all the email for me and the media, uh, all of that. And then we had all these other states that came to Georgia with their disaster relief credential volunteers. Mississippi came to Albany with cleanup recovery. Virginia came to Albany with a feeding unit. The other Virginia convention went to Blakely and did cleanup and recovery and took care of themselves with low volume feeding. Kentucky came to, uh, I'm sorry, the other Virginia came to Dawson, not Blakely. Kentucky went to Blakely and they set up operations uh, Ashley had to leave for a while and then came back and served a second time, but they did feeding and cleanup and recovery. Uh, North Carolina, of all things, North Carolina just got hit with Hurricane Florence. Uh, and to tell you a, a little scope of the difference between the two storms, there were a million meals prepared just in North Carolina following Hurricane Florence. So that gives you an idea of how devastated North Carolina was. But when it came to a point where I was needing some extra volunteers for feeding in Bainbridge, North Carolina said, we'll send a team. So a team came from North Carolina and worked out of our unit in Bainbridge, Georgia. And so it's just, there's no way we could have done this without other state DR teams coming. Uh, and I've said many times, and I, I'll say it again, I, disaster relief's the best picture we have of cooperative program. It really is because we come from all different walks of life and uh, in different states, but we come for one common purpose, and that's to serve Christ together in time of crisis. Uh, well, between, uh, I guess, November and March, we began to uh, try to see how many people we could get to come down and help. Uh, these are people that are just guys in the pew, women in the pew, who really want to do something uh, but we don't want them to come and, and get hurt. We don't want wildcatters. 
because uh, sometimes uh, the uncredentialed volunteers can be just that. They just launch out on their own and just do their own thing, and they just don't realize what they're getting into, uh, what the level of devastation looks like. And this may be the first time they've ever handled a piece of equipment like a chainsaw or tried to, tried to operate a tractor. It's not a, this is not the time to learn to do that. Uh, you know you need to do this before you go down. And uh, we had uh, a number of people that worked with us, and we put a lot of chainsaws out there. Uh, we had one guy that had, he had a, a trailer was sitting in the middle of a lot. It was about a five-acre lot. And every tree in his yard was down, and it went down in a circle like this. And we went and we cut them all up and picked them up and moved them all to the road with a grappler. And so it was a big deal. But these guys knew their equipment. They had already been working on chainsaws. We had one lady that was with us, and she knew how to operate a chainsaw. But her better skill was she knew how to sharpen a blade. And so she set up a table. She said, when your chainsaw gets dull, bring it here. And so she, said, she, she was on her feet all day long sharpening chainsaws. And it really it picked our speed up. And, uh, and we had people who, some people had uh, good equipment on. Uh, and some people, they just came and they didn't even have a pair of gloves. We said, no, you need to wear gloves. You need to do something. You need to, you know, you need to watch for your eyes. If we've got equipment, we need to give equipment. We need to start retaining equipment and say to people, here's a, here's a nice, uh, 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 some clothes that you can wear that, um, uh, and, and with a visor on a helmet that you need to have and ears, something over your ears. Uh, I can remember I was cutting in, in a pile of limbs and, and a man on the other side was cutting in a pile of limbs. And what he did was he cut something loose and when it came loose, it came around this side and knocked, uh, hit me right in the visor. Had I not had a visor on, it would have knocked me in the eyes. So we don't see this thing coming and non-credential volunteers uh, sometimes have no concept of how quickly you can get hurt. And we have to have people that are standing watching us because we're concentrating on our work. And they'll walk over there and tap us on the shoulder and say, stop. And I'll stop and they'll say, what's going on? That tree, that, that, that guy's coming, that, it's going to land on you. So it's not just about cutting trees as fast as you can. It's teamwork. And so we had to do that. Uh, in the calling, we had uh, 27 associations that contributed financially. Uh, I just wanted to find out what do you guys do. And send a, uh, I sent out emails to everybody, texts to everybody I could get, and this was the response I got from the 91 associations uh, in, our, uh, in our state. 20, uh, 27 associations said our association contributed financially to South Georgia. Uh, 22 associations sent needed items. Uh, this was everything from water. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're literally talking about uh, uh, trash bags, flashlights. I carried lots of flashlights in areas that already had power. But somebody sent us a disaster relief unit that was a, uh, was a bathhouse. And, uh, and the pastor said, uh, well, I didn't bother plugging it up because so, we didn't have the right hookup at our church for it. So you'll have to take a bath in the dark. I pulled out those disaster relief flashlights and said, no, we got light. So we have, to, uh, we have to manage the best way we can. So 22 associations sent needed items, and 17 associations sent teams. And 
We really didn't know what was going to be. I'm not going to say that because I got on the phone, they came. Some of them were already planning. But we needed to know who's sending what and who's going. Every team needs to have a leader. And so as an associational missionary, I want to know if you've got a team going and if you, who's in charge. Is there someone in charge? If there's no one in charge, it's, it's not going to do well. It's going to be somebody's coming home hurt or something's not going to happen. So that was part of what I was doing is trying to just at least get some logistics of what's getting ready to happen, flowing the minds of people. And I was meeting with the churches in my association. Other association missionaries were doing the same. Some were not. Some churches said, look, I'm credential disaster relief. I've done this before. I've got, I, maybe I work with a power company. I understand what I'm getting into, and I'll lead this team. Great. But I don't want leaders going down there uh, that don't know anything about what they're doing. And so my job was to kind of put this uh, up to the uh, forefront and help disaster relief a little bit and get their job done. Uh, so here's what we want to do with, with water. Water, you want to be very specific with what you're asking for. This is what we learned. Uh, water, uh, we said, yeah, water's needed. It's needed. And so that means some people will, will they'll say, let's form a committee. And let's try to get this water thing solved. Well, once you restore power, that means everybody that's got a well has got water. And so the, the overnight, you could, the water issues can go away. And some of the things we had was people were sending truckloads of water. Well, that's not the same. We weren't on the beach. And once we restored power, water began to come back online. Uh, we weren't dealing with mud out. Uh, we were dealing with trees down on power lines. Power restored, water. And, and that also meant there was a lot of other sources. Roads were open, a lot of other things. So I think that one of the mistakes was made and, uh, is that we said, yeah, send water, and, and, not, and we weren't very specific enough. And so we got, you know, weeks later, here comes truckloads of water with no plate. Nobody wants it at that point. And that was, that was an issue. There was one association missionary that called me and said, uh, we're collecting water. Do you know where you can, where we can take it? Now, honestly, at that point, that's the wrong time to be asking me about the collection. I'd rather you ask me before you start collecting. And but he had already started collecting, and at that point, I'm thinking, well, let's take advantage of delegation here. And I said, Larry, how about you just running with it? And here are some possible contacts. What I and I was the one that was not clear. I thought he already had the water or would within the next 24-hour period, but he was still collecting water a week later. And at that point, James Holloway and Ken Cloud from southwest Georgia were telling me, don't send any more water. And so uh, this collection of goods, meaning easy, it, it is easy in that people love the tangible. But in a disaster response, if we ask for something, we need it today. We don't need it next week. And so churches are not accustomed to operating that quickly. And so that's, a, that's an issue that we face. Um, but now, now let me give you a good story on the collection of goods. If I ask for something, I will help transport it. Back in Hurricane Sandy 2011, uh, 
I was riding to work one day and Hurricane Sandy hit late. It was late October and I'm riding to work one day. I've already got teams up in New Jersey and I heard on the radio about collecting hygiene kits. Some organs might have been Red Cross was collecting hygiene kits. And so I got to think about, oh, we could do that because the year before we had collected flood buckets to send to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. And so I still had that list for flood buckets. Now I went to Dr. White and I said, Dr. White, we got the annual meeting coming up. I think it'd be great if we asked our churches to bring flood buckets to the annual meeting. It was going to be in Warner Robins. And uh, he said, what are you thinking? I said, I think we could get a thousand buckets. Now this is two weeks out. And so we had to we had to promote it. We put a video together. He sent it out. If some of y'all remember as pastors, he, he would send an email with a video every other week or three weeks. I don't know. And so he sent that out. And uh, we collected 1,300 buckets at the annual meeting in less than two weeks' time. And I already had volunteers ready to transport them to New Jersey. Two weeks after the annual meeting, I'm still getting calls. Hey, we got our flood buckets ready. <laughs> that truck has already rolled. <laughs> you hold on to them, and when we have another flood. So this is one of the things we learned. It's good to ask people. People love the tangible. But if we ask for that, we need to be very clear what we're asking for and a time frame to, to bring it in. And honestly, so churches are going to continue to struggle with that. That's just not the way we typically operate. Gift cards are wonderful, and Dave's already talked about taking a boatload of gift cards to Southwest Georgia. Money will spend. Uh, that's just all, and that's easy. And you can take thousands of dollars in gift cards and not have to have a truck to, to tow them. However, make sure they're good gift cards. Uh, if they don't have a Lowe's, don't buy a Lowe's gift card. You've you got to buy what's available to them there. We also learned communication is critical. Not just me with my disaster relief volunteers, and, and I work through ministry coordinators who work through unit directors who call the volunteers. It's not just me with the DR family. It's also a mission board with churches and associations. There's a, there are multiple arenas of a, a communication that have to take place. And we need to do a good job, a better job, of saying this is where we're at, this is our current status, this is what we anticipate happening, and this is when we think we're going to be able to utilize the non-credentialed affiliated teams. We've got to be clear with that. Uh, again, timing is crucial because it, uh, there were there was one or a couple of times when I would draft a message on Wednesday. If it didn't go out until Friday, it was obsolete. So when we draft the message, we've got, it, it's got to go out right then, and we need to be crucial with our timing. Cooperation is invaluable. Not, I, can't, I cannot use your non-credentialed, even if you are affiliated, I cannot use your teams in child care. Maybe feeding, but not, not on the cooking line. Probably not on the serving line, maybe in distribution. Uh, but we're going to, as far as credential disaster relief ministry areas, we're going to be very careful where we plug in affiliated but non-credentialed teams. But here's my promise to you. 
cleanup and recovery is the easiest area to plug in your church teams. And from the examples y'all shared before we started, that's, that's what your people want to do anyway. So here's my promise. I'm going to plug you in as soon as I can. My request is give me a little time. I want Danny there before I want you there. And another thing, ask your church about flood buckets because they'll probably have them still sitting there in storage somewhere. Yeah. Last time we rolled North Myrtle, I had a truckload. Yes. But now here, association office is waiting for somebody to ask. Now here's why I want Danny to go first. Because if he, he's clinic recovery trained, I want 4R to go in first and I want them to get started. Because if they can start assessing jobs to be done, I, I know that they know what their capacity is. And so give us, give that's my, my request, give me a little space because we're going to start with a credential, but hear my promise, as soon as we can, as soon as we know we can facilitate you, I'm going to ask for you to come. That's, that's the promise going forward. Stuart, address a little bit about how, what is our relationship as Georgia Baptist with the incident command structure, and how do you bring in non-credentialed people under that? So, we, we utilize principles of ICS in Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief. I personally do not like the idea of calling my leaders incident commanders or area commanders. That's what they would be called in ICS. But I don't like doing that because the local emergency management director is going to set up that system. And technically, he's the, he's the incident commander. So I don't want to, it, it really hasn't caused confusion, but if I'm talking to him, and I say, well, my incident commander is David Self, because he's wearing a blue hat, then he, he may have an expectation of us that's not fair. And so ICS is a great tool for um, organization. Under the general command, the operations that we do to um, meet the needs of victims, those are affected. We feed, we may do child care, clean up and recovery, C-U-R, short for clean up and recovery. We do chaplaincy. I'm, I'm fixing to answer your question. These are the four ministry areas that we do for them. We are adding a fifth one, I, and I just brought on another man to my, as a ministry coordinator, who's going to help us with assessment. Because I see that as a separate ministry area, and if we don't pull it out from under cleanup and recovery, it's never going to get the treatment it needs. So these will be the five ministry areas that we credential DR volunteers do to meet the needs of victims right now. To answer your question, The rest of that word is facilitation, facilitation of affiliated teams. In my mind, 
it is an operation for my IMT, Instant Management Team. I don't need a separate ministry coordinator for this. But when I set up an IMT, an Instant Management Team, and that's where my white hat is, my, for us in disaster, if you're not familiar, all volunteers in disaster relief are gold hats. Team leaders wear blue, and when you have more than one blue hat, one, more than one unit or team on site, you have one white hat. And the white hat is responsible for everything ICS, and this is the largest part of it. I'm saying that IMT, uh, I've, wrong, hold the wrong thing with my, I'm going to have one blue hat because I'm going to typically have one feeding unit. I may, th it's questionable whether or not this will be there. I have one blue hat for every cleanup and recovery unit that I have, which could be two, three, four, five. I don't need blue hats for chaplains because my chaplains go out with feeding and cleanup and recovery. I will have a blue hat over the assessors, but the assessors will go out in pairs. And our assessment team, we want one cleanup recovery trained, experienced person, plus a chaplain. We want them going out in pairs to do assessment. But this IMT is also responsible to facilitate your uncredentialed affiliated team. Long answer, but this is where I see it falling in ICS. But my question is, does your local EMA director or your GEMA higher level command instruction, will they recognize uncredentialed? We've been told that a lot of times they won't even let you on the scene anymore. Got it. So, great question. I understand now. First of all, my structure is not does not come under the umbrella or authority of the local EMA. This is this is for us. But it's still a great question. And y'all need to hear the answer. If the local government says credentialed volunteers only, then my message to you is I can't use you. Military guys have no problem with that. Pastors with no military background, they don't have a clue. And I was a pastor with no military background, so I'm... But it, at that point, I have to submit to their authority. Well, to me, it, it, it ought to motivate us as Southern Baptists to understand the importance of accreditation, number one. I agree. So that we can be available when needed. Yes. But, but, but secondly, you know, don't get your feelings hurt if you or others in your department look at us and say, hey, sorry, you yeah. can't come. Right. We can't get you on the scene because I see from whatever you know, level they, they're talking to us, says only credential yep. you know, people on, on And even, even when they do that, that usually only lasts a few days. Right. So there again, Give me some margin. Give me some buffer. These are the rules we're playing under right now. But a week from now, it's going to open up. And so, and it, that almost always happens. Um, oh, last point before I turn it back to Dave. Here's the goal for your local church and association. If you come to, uh, the gentleman who was in here, Eric Rents, and I were talking. He, he led a lot of teams to Iron City after Hurricane Michael. I hope he keeps going back to Iron City. 
It's a small church, young pastor, struggling, and now struggling even more because of Hurricane Michael. Come summer 2020, I think Eric's church needs to go back and help them with vacation Bible school. I want long-term partnerships coming out of this. And so this would be the catalyst to start that. Yeah, some of that I've kind of mentioned, but uh, if you don't go someplace where no one's asked you to come, I mean, this is what I've witnessed uh, as a disaster relief. Uh, my first chaplain response in uh, uh, Pascagoula. I drove into town and went past a place where there was a Walmart and there was a stack of clothes that was this high, and it was just sitting on the on on the pavement and I drove by it on day one and when I left on day three it was raining on it I'm thinking what happened was that somebody said you know what we're going to do I, we just got this good idea we're going we're gonna to clothe the naked and we're going to take it down to somebody and we're going to say okay we got, the we got a bunch of clothes a big truckload of clothes where do we take it and they say this is not our problem this is yours we're organized you came here, you created a problem, and they probably dumped it on a parking lot, making a mess worse. Uh, so you have to be uh, in contact with people who are on the ground who can see things. That's one of the first things I did. I started calling associational missionaries that were in the path, and they were dealing with it, and they could tell me what they could offer uh, for if we brought credential or non-credential non -credential workers down. They could say, David, you know, we, we have a place here for you to shower, and it looks like this. We can handle so many people, it looks like this. Or perhaps there's floor in this church, and, uh, and they've got uh, restrooms, they've got baths for men and women. Bring everybody you can, but cut it off at so many numbers, because we can't handle it beyond that. Let's just be honest. Where are you getting your food from? Well, we were finding out that, well, no one was signing up to feed us. And so it, what it really meant was that what restaurants are open? And there were a few that were open. So those are the ones we go, okay, we can go now. We understand where we plug in and how it works. So that's, that's what we're doing. If somebody didn't ask you a request, don't do it. Uh, here's some things you also want to ask yourself. Is the infrastructure ready to support additional volunteers? Because sometimes it's not. Uh, maybe there, maybe that there's other teams that are already there, and every bed space is available. All the cots are they're already spoken for, and you're the Johnny come lately. Let's make sure that you connect with somebody before you go down there. And think of this particular slide from the viewpoint of a James Holloway who was affected by the storm, not a David Self sending teams to the storm. This is by this is. If, you're, if, if your community gets hit and you want help, these are some questions you need to be asking of yourself. One of the things that uh, uh, I was very pleased with is that some of the people we had going with us had military backgrounds. And that tells me that, that they have been trained to think outside of the box a little bit. Uh, they've, been, uh, they've been exposed to many different environments and many different challenges. And I, I could say, look, this you need to handle this, and you're the boss, 
So you know how the chain of command works. Yeah. That worked. It worked. That you'll find people that have been do, have done disaster relief routinely over and over again. You get a background. You know that you know what the, the the lay of the land looks like when you get there. You don't make things worse when you get there. So find a knowledgeable team leader in your church that knows what they're doing and willing to say no. We're not going to cut that tree. And and they're not going to give to somebody else. You don't need an agreeable person at that time. You need somebody who's, who, who can make a decision and, and stick with it. Sometimes your decisions are wrong, but you got to make decisions. Uh, and do you have the equipment and the supplies you need for that equipment? You know, if you bring one chainsaw and, uh, and you bring one blade and it gets caught and pinched and you bend it trying to get it out, and now you've got to go home. Uh, do you have your equipment? Where, where's your plan B, C, D, and E? I mean, you need that. You need to think about, uh, we had one guy that, uh, uh, that uh, he brought a, a large tractor in and was moving a tremendous amount of, uh, of lumber uh, to the side of the road, and he had uh, one of his lines blow out. Uh, well, we said, well, is that, does that mean we're doing it from hand from now on? And luckily, we knew of an association of mission. In this case, it was Ken Cloud. He says, let me tell you where to go. These places are open, and these people can help you. And we fixed it and put that tractor back in order. We needed to know before we bring our equipment down there that if it goes out and there is no other way, then we got to do it by hand. we got to get that in our heads and, and realize that we have to know what time it's time to stop. So that's some of the things... Uh, this is, I'm sorry, I was one slide ahead. Okay. This is James, not you. Okay. Slide was you. Uh, from James Holloway. From James Holloway's perspective. Okay. Uh, from James, when he was, uh, he realized everything went on. He had, he had no water. Uh, he had no power. And if people were coming down immediately saying, James, we're here to help. Well, James was having to go from his area to Alabama just to plug in to a phone system that could charge his phone and he could answer phone calls and go back to Georgia and do his work and go back to Alabama. That was a hard deal. He couldn't take care of us. And if we say, James, we're just going, we're going to love you in the name of Jesus. We got 20 guys coming down. That's a problem. That's a problem. And we're, we're, we're creating a burden for him that he cannot manage. I, there were associational missionaries when I was handing out cards I found one guy that was so overwhelmed that he just he just couldn't take it it was bigger than anything he'd ever seen before and so somebody needed to listen to him and help him get started uh, and help him understand that you know this doesn't have to be overwhelming pick one thing and this guy was so overwhelmed at the moment, he couldn't even pick one thing. And I handed him a gift card, and I said, buy a chainsaw and give it to somebody that knows how to run one. And tell them that's what your association's doing. He said, well, I can do that. Well, he went and did that, and it kind of bumped him. You know, sometimes you get things that are sitting on center so tight that you can't bump them off. You give something like that and you give them a shove and all of a sudden they take one step and they realize, oh, I can see the next step now. And that's just kind of what we had to do. And uh, so uh, 
The, the second point there, do I know how to request help? If you are in the affected area, it's fine to know your limitations. And at that point, when you realize I need help, do you know how to get help? If, if nothing else, you call me. But th I think that's a great question for the affected area to know. Do I know how to get help and, and when to ask for that? I would say if you're in an area that's, uh, that's near the seacoast or 100 miles from the seacoast, you probably need to be thinking about this in advance. You're not going to come up with a plan for you and all your churches when you realize, oh, guess what? We have a disaster. Uh, I, th I think that the military does a great job with that, and, and others do. Uh, they, they, they plan. They, they think about what contingency plans. What if this, then this? What if this, then this? What if, you go ahead and think about that now. My daddy was an electrician, and he said, David, there's always more than one way to fix something. And so as a kid, I was taught you think in terms of contingencies because the first plan may not work. You have to think that way. Uh, so learn how to work with uh, the, what's coming your way and all the contingencies and learn who the people are who can help you. Uh, if you're a associational missionary, it's just that's not his gift. And sometimes associational missionaries do not have certain gifts because none of us are created equal. Uh, you need to know who to go to. And there may be somebody in your association and it may not be your associational missionary. It may be somebody else. I got a guy named Jim Crooms in my association that if I said, Jim, I, look, I'm overwhelmed. He'd say, step aside, David, I got this. And pretty much I discovered it through a tornado came through one day. And I, was, I went down to sat out all around my area and I discovered a small area. And I started going down to uh, uh, another town, Sandersville. And I said, well, I wonder if Jim Crooms knows about this. But Jim was already on top of it. He was, matter of fact, he was in more commu greater communication with disaster relief than I was. I thought, perfect. This is perfect. This man knows how to do it. He knows how to get that way. So I'm glad you get those things uh, going in your association and you do it now. Uh, are you prepared to, prepared to assume a risk? So if you invite people in, you send them out. You know, what risk are you willing to take on? And that is something that we need to think more and more about. There's a lot of risks that involve. You say, I want all this cut down, but I don't have any paperwork. Locally, you need to have paperwork. You need to be talking to people. I went to a guy's house and he said uh, uh, he had a tree, a large tree down in his backyard. And he said, uh, 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 I got a tree down in my backyard. I said, well, do you want us to cut it? He looked at us and he said, you know Bill? I said, I don't know Bill. He said, I have a tree in my backyard. I said, yes, you want us to help. You know Bill? Realize that this is not a decision maker. And you need to find some decision makers. That's a risk. and We have to learn how to manage that. It is. Um, so what? We're gonna, we want to be more intentional and faster to request affiliated support. We've already mentioned that. Uh, it may be collection and or distribution. After Ringgold, 20, uh, the 2011 tornado that hit Tuscaloosa, Alabama and also the western part of Georgia, there was one church in Ringgold. We were set up at First Baptist Church with our volunteers. Another church wanted to do something. And I, I suggested to the pastor, I said, would you handle the water? Because they were getting overrun with bottled water also. And man, they, they took hold of that. And they 
all the bottled water went to that Baptist church and they set up a drive-through line where people could come through, get a case of water, but they shared the gospel with everybody that went through. So that's a great opportunity for non-credentialed affiliated teams to, to jump in. Uh, cleanup efforts, we've already talked about facilitate but not manage. Uh, want to continue to encourage disaster relief training. I've got three more this uh, the month of September. September 14 in LaGrange, uh, Friday night, September 27 at First Dunwoody, and then Saturday morning, September 28 at First Covington. And then next year we're going to be doing them regionally, one at least one in every region according to our new regional map. Uh, I'm also going to be working with our new research and development team for improved communication marketing. Guys, I don't like marketing. It's not the way I think. But we are competing more than we ever have for volunteers and dollars. And so we've got to do that. And then I also have a, it's a fairly short presentation, but if your church needs help developing a disaster preparedness plan that has nothing to do with credentialed volunteers but a disaster preparedness plan what are you going to do when your church encounters a disaster it, whether it's a fire or a shooter a medical emergency to uh, a man-made disaster in your town have you thought through what your response is going to be. If I can help you with that, you contact me and let me know. Questions? How much big equipment do you need? Like say a, a big 80 horse tractor with a grapple on it and that kind of thing, which I have. I mean, I, I have a trailer big enough to haul it and come, but you know, yeah. All that dually to pull it. I mean, I can get there, you know, that kind of thing. So, two answers to your question. I don't, our units don't officially have big equipment. Um, I'm, I'm more than willing to assume the risk of training people how to run a chainsaw correctly. I'm not willing to assume the risk of training people how to run heavy equipment. Right. So, I don't have any heavy equipment. How? Now that's part A. Part B, you have it, bring it. I'll reimburse you for the fuel that you expend running it. But you're responsible for your piece of equipment. Right. Now what I need to bring fuel initially, 500 gallon tank or something like that? or Whatever you, whatever you use, I will reimburse you as long as I'm able to do so. Because if you're there with that tractor, we can do in three hours what it would take three days without it. So I, I know that, I appreciate it, and I reimburse, but we don't, if it, and if it's your tractor, I don't want anybody else on it. And you, you shouldn't either. I probably don't either. <laughs> right, right. Ask the question about bringing fuel. You need something to get started. With right. Because if they have no power, you can't get fuel. Right. That's right. And they may not have fuel. They may not have fuel. We didn't face it so much in Georgia, but Florida, they were running out of fuel after Hurricane Michael. And so other states that were coming into Florida were having to stop well before, in Alabama, well before they got to Florida. So now let's, let's go back to the SUV crisis for a second. The beauty of working within a system is you know that. 
and you can plan for that. But if you have SUVs just showing up out of the goodness of their heart to help, they don't know that there's no fuel. They don't know that they assume there's going to be a safe place to sleep. That is a false assumption after a disaster response. And and you cannot assume food. You just can't. I, I remember specifically to your point earlier and to his point as well. Um, it, third or fourth day we were up there doing disaster relief after Hugo, there was a whole caravan of trucks that came down from New York with all types of supplies, clothing, water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they got to Somerville, but the only downside was is they expected somebody to be there with a forklift yes. to unload these trucks. Yeah. Well, they had one forklift in Somerville that still had propane on the tank that could run that forklift. When that joker ran out of propane, we were done. Yep. So we ended up trying to help them. That was the last thing we did before we left there. Manually unload 15 semi-trucks full of water and clothes and other supplies. And let me tell you something, brother. It was still 98 degrees and it was 90% humidity. And those trucks interior had already come down from New York. It was a hot, Less than Jay Josh. And I mean, you got to understand. Okay, these guys are driving trucks, committed to come down there, unload, turn around, and go back. They didn't plan on staying the week or the month to get unloaded. That's right. You know? So it was, you know, you got you to gotta realize that there's got to be a logistic communication going on throughout this event. And you just don't break stuff and not plan ahead. But every disaster, every disaster, every major disaster we have I will have multiple calls hey Stuart we've filled up an 18-wheeler where can we take it I really wish you to call me before you started after Hurricane Katrina the same thing happened and David referred to this most of those clothes and diapers and food and water ended up in a parking lot but nobody was there prepared to receive it or distribute it and so after that they came along with the same grapple hook and took it to the landfill and people gave tons, I mean tons of goods ended up in the landfill because it wasn't requested. So I, I appreciate the generous spirit behind the collection. It's just not wise. There's a better way. And that's a, uh, that's a drum I'll be beating through retirement, I guess, which is hopefully a long way off. <laughs> Adel, y'all remember Adel? And, and National News came to Adel, Georgia a couple of three years ago. And Adel was supposedly wiped out by that tornado. Adel was not wiped out by that tornado. It was one spot about the size of a football field that was wiped out. And there were several trailers. I think there was only one or two trailers that were actually demolished because of the tornado. But because of the news, they filled up an entire warehouse with clothing. And when I got down there, I never go first. I always send, I, I send an IMT. They're better at setting up than I am. Best place for me to be is in Duluth until the jigsaw puzzle is put together. So once the puzzle's put together, I visit Adel. I talk to the pastor. He said, please tell people not to send any more clothes to Adel. I've got enough clothes. I could clothe everybody in Adel with two or three outfits and still have half a warehouse. 
I have no idea what I'm going to do with it all. So, there's a season for everything under a sun. There's a time to give, and there's a time to stop. <laughs> there's a time to respond, and there's a time to stay home. <laughs> uh, any questions? You know it's messy, and a verse comes to my mind. I won't be able to quote it exactly, but there's a verse in Proverbs that says uh, something to the effect, if you have an ox, you're going to have a messy stall. Disasters are messy. And uh, I hope you don't face the disaster in your community. But if you do, and if you allow me to come in with credentialed volunteers or non-credentialed affiliate, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a mess to clean up. But think about all the work you're going to get done when you bring the ox in. Just be prepared for the shovel. There's going to be a mess to clean up along the way. That's, that's just reality. Appreciate y'all coming. Here's my email. If you have any questions, let me know. This is the website. If you're interested in DR orientation, would love to have you. And um, that the September events are up there. I don't have 2020 events up there yet because if you put too many up too far in advance, it's confusing to people. So. Uh, there they are. Keep checking the website for an event near you. I'm good. I'm done if y'all are. Go and be blessed and get in the front of the line. The fajitas, the fajitas are ready.